You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about. Okay, good evening. Hey, people. We are live. How are you? Welcome to episode 84 of the Sports Therapy Association podcast. And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt Phillips. I'm the creator of One Chat Live. But Tuesday nights um, is all about helping soft tissue therapists um, get a little bit of friendly education. Okay, because we know after 83 episodes now that um, there is a little bit of misinformation out there. A lot of it is scary when you go on social media. There's people telling you that there's no point touching anyone ever again. It doesn't do anything. And there's people saying that you can't go wrong going strong. And there's people who basically will make you feel very insecure. Um, And that's what this was born out of, really, providing support for soft tissue therapists, whether you're a sports massage therapist or sports therapist, whether your level is um, anywhere from sports massage, level three, all the way up to degree level and beyond. There will be something here for you. Now, it is recorded live, the show. So if you want to join us live, then you can come to the Sports Therapy Association Facebook page. You don't have to be a member or anything. It doesn't cost you a penny. You just go along to Sports Therapy Association on Facebook. And uh, I think there's a couple of questions like, what do you do for a living? And then you join us. Um, You can do that. Or you can join us via YouTube if you don't want to go via Facebook. The advantage of joining us live if you are free at eight o'clock on a Tuesday night is you can obviously ask our fantastic guest questions live. And it's a wonderful networking tool. Okay, I still teach uh, sports massage, all different levels. And one of the best forms of CPD, I'm biased, obviously, because I'm part of the Sports Therapy Association. But I say come along Tuesday nights. You will mix live always with 40, 50 people. Um, And it's a great way of not just asking the guest questions, but chatting with each other, making some connections, people in your area. We've got the STA reps who normally show up from different areas of the UK. So you can find out who is there to help you uh, grow your business um, and to uh, provide any sort of of support, especially in COVID-19, where people aren't still sure. Am I supposed to be wearing a mask? Is my client supposed to be wearing a mask? Supine, prone, aprons? Where'd you get your aprons from? All things like that. So that's the idea. Of course, you don't have to join us live. If you are busy at eight o'clock on a Tuesday evening, you can download the podcast, which is um, I release about two days afterwards. Or you can go to YouTube and catch the video, which I often recommend because often we've got images and you can see the guests in their full glory. Um, this is all recorded live. and We do that on purpose because there's no editing. It's what comes out is what we're saying. OK, so there we go. Right. People who are joining us live. Here we go. We've got Catherine Reimer in the house. Always first through the door. Hi, Catherine. If you can't see the screen at the moment because you're listening to the podcast, I have just brought Catherine Reimer's name up onto the screen and a fantastic photo. And there she is saying hi, everyone, with a clapping or high five emoji. I'm not sure. Um, Becky Carroll is in the house. Hi, Becky. Glenn Murphy is here. The regulars are all bursting through the door. Very excited as they get little Jack Russells, all of them. That's how I imagine them coming through the door anyway. So it's lovely if you can join us, um, particularly if you're a student, then come along. It's a great way of my biggest thing is gently easing new information, which is probably lacking from your course, gently easing information in. I want people the best feedback I can get on emails. And I do get feedback and I thank everybody who takes the moment to either say thank you or tell me what you've learned or maybe have a whinge or complain, whether it's to me or about someone else. It's all very, very welcome because what we put out here in terms of content is all to help you guys. So I do appreciate all the emails we receive. One of the nicest things is I just found that what you were saying was much easier to take on them than when I was on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, you know, or even on a course. Okay. So that's the biggest compliment I can be paid. So if you really want to kind of, um, to win my favor, I don't know why you would, then just say that you found this a non-threatening environment and somewhere easy to learn. And I handpicked my guests to give you that experience. And tonight is no um, exception to that at all. Um, shortly, we will be joined once again by Sonia Fierro, fantastic therapist, originally started sports um, therapy, went on to osteopathy, has worked um, with GB teams, um, has a, a deadlift record under her belt for Italy for her age category. Um, and has worked in all sorts of different sports, including fencing and I think um, uh, ice skating and, and fencing and the list goes on. So we're really lucky. If I missed one out, I'm seeing her down in the lobby just checking up. It's probably about three I missed out. But really lucky to get Sonia back. Sonia was with us as Robert Crowley in episode one where we did an introduction to CrossFit, which is still available on on as a podcast and on YouTube where we had a look at the myths and misconceptions and we're welcoming her back. Before we bring Sonia up, then thank you to last week's guests, 
uh, we had three last week um, for the price of none because we paid the nothing. So it really was three for the price of none. Um, with the goodness of their heart, they gave up their free time um, to join us. We had Anna Maria Mariette, uh, Mar uh, Mazzieri, who a lot of you know already through her work with the school. Um, educating soft tissue therapists across the country. Um, and also we had Professor Mark Wilson, um, who um, has a, a fantastically published research, particularly into the psychology of sport, um, a wealth of knowledge there, uh, PhD students under his belt. I think he's produced something like 140 odd um, uh, papers all published. It was really useful to, and, uh, and an honor to have uh, Professor Mark Wilson along to lend his experience on the psychology um, a sport, what we need to appreciate the person in front of us, not just what we read in a textbook, in other words. Um, that old thing, which hopefully a lot of you are being taught now, if you listen to your client or patient, then they'll tell you what's wrong with them. And if you listen even more, then they'll tell you how to kind of fix them. So it's all about that subjective, which we've talked about a lot. Um, and also we had Natalie Granger, which again was a total pleasure as well. Um, found CrossFit later on in life, spent 10 years being a helicopter pilot in the Royal Navy, as you do, um, but an absolute fabulous personal trainer um, and now uh, well into um, her CrossFit and gave us loads of, um, of her experience and knowledge in terms of injury. So there we go. That's all there. But the show continues. We're now at part three of our CrossFit month here on the Sports Therapy Association podcast. And like I say, we're going to welcome back Sonia Fierro. And tonight we're going to look at one of my favourite subjects. Anyone who knows me and follows me on One Chat Live will know um, I've got a bit of bias against flexibility because it's all about runners. And we, we might talk about that and do a little comparison. But we're going to be talking tonight about flexibility and mobility, the difference for CrossFitters. Okay, so if your clients coming in, doing Olympic lists and other exercises like that. So... Do feel free to leave comments, as I always say. Um, I'm really looking forward to bringing her up and we'll bring her now. So, Sonia Fierro. Hey, Sonia, how are you doing? Hey, Matt. Hi, everyone. Yeah, all good. Thank you. So kind of you to come back again for seconds. It must have gone OK yeah. first time. I'm really pleased. We haven't got Robert tonight, so obviously we're mourning that. Um, but um, that's great because this is one of your passions, isn't it? Um, flexibility, mobility. Yes. Yeah, uh, I think it's always been um, coming from a performance-focused uh, sport. So I was a figure skater growing up and having worked in um, some sports that require uh, more flexibility than, uh, you know, the standard person would need, like diving and even fencing, um, has always been a passion, passion of mine. Fantastic. That's great. And like I said before, we've had a chat about this off air. People who know me and follow me and quite a few of the people in the room, we've known each other for some years, haven't we? So you know that I'm a bit of a nause and a bit of a old flexibility. And that's because runners, I see so many runners who are spending so much time sticking their heel up on a wall and trying to stretch it. And they're not really doing anything else because they believe that's going to save them from injury it's going to stop them from being sore etc etc so we will talk about that but i'm double excited because i've always said that whatever you want to call it and we'll go through the the kind of different names in a minute it all depends it all varies very much in what you're going to use it for okay so yeah. i've always quite i've always used for an extreme obviously in an argument a martial artist is going to kick someone in the head or a ballet um, performer who's going to lift their leg up and have to hold it there that's different trained for that even a footballer who's going to do a sliding tackle and their legs going to open up you know that's important but for a runner i've always kind of claimed running as opposed to sprinting you're not you don't need those ranges you don't need much more ranges than walking so i am infamous for going on and being a bit boring with it but that's <laughs> why i'm excited to have you along because in crossfit which i know very little about um, and basically talking about Olympic lifts, are we flexibility? Well, yeah, flexibility is important. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, you say you are so against flexibility, but I think you think of flexibility kind of in the right way. And what you're saying is, uh, you know, I see runners, I work with endurance runners, they're range of motion requirements will be quite limited compared to for, for example somebody that wants to get into crossfit we have a lot of movements that require quite a lot of range of motion um, everybody thinks that the olympic lifting but actually the gymnastics movements uh, uh, will require probably even more range um, and then if we look you know at the broad spe spectrum of sports um, every sport will have different requirements and i think people sometimes forget that flexibility, exactly like any other motor component, motor ability, needs to be targeted to what we want to do. 
um, rather than just being stretch more <laughs> as a general advice. Um, so we'll have, you know, a runner will just need to do maybe a few exercises, maybe not much. Um, but then if you come into my box and you tell me that you want to start CrossFit and you can't lift your arms overhead, I know that you will need some sort of flexibility training if we want you to train safely. Brilliant. Okay, so people are still coming in the room. Hey, Alice yeah. and Stevie and Lisa. It's good filling up. You're obviously popular first time. This is great. And so good. it should be. Um, so one thing that kind of comes up in conversation as well, and we talked briefly about this, is kind of the words we use. Um, and for people who have come off courses, particularly sports uh, massage courses, but even up to degree level, people have told me that it seems like people flip between flexibility and mobility and stretching, and there doesn't yeah. seem to be clear lines. Is it necessary to have clear lines and, and how do you define them? Um, I think it's important for sure to have a bit more of a deeper understanding of what the different terms mean and how they've been used historically in research. Um, and then the other point that I will make, I think is really important in terms of educating our patients and clients as well. Um, so the general kind of what is out there on social media is flexibility is passive uh, and mobility is active so if you're doing a stretch um, you're working on flexibility if you're learning to control your range you're working on mobility but actually if we go and look at the research and even just at the dictionary definition of flexibility it's not like that at all um, that kind of dichotomy was brought on from um, from some brands around probably 10 years ago. And then it's kind of exploded with social media because I think we said this like in the, in the previous podcast, social media loves the black and white, you know, the cross and the tick. Um, one thing is good, one thing is bad, which is the problem I have with that clear cut flexibility being passive and mobility being active. But Actually, if we look even just at the dictionary definition, flexibility is defined as the ability to bend or to be bent easily uh, without breaking. So even the dictionary tells us that flexibility is both passive and active. Um, and in the literature, we find research paper that will describe flexibility as static passive, active static, or it could be an active dynamic. Um, or it could be a passive dynamic, which is something that generally we can't do, but we do as therapists. So all our mobilizations, again, confusing terms sometimes. Um, but that's the other reason why I don't particularly like using the word mobility um, for what we do in the gym. Because like, if I talk to a physiotherapist and I talk about mobilization, probably they're thinking of mulligan techniques. But if you're in a gym, especially CrossFit, they will think about grabbing bands and lacrosse balls and foam rollers. And there's no really, you don't really know what is like, there's not a clear um, definition of what exercises constitute a mobility exercise. So I still use the term, but I like to use it as a synonym for movement. So if I'm working on mobility or if I talk about somebody's mobility, I just think at their ability to move in space, which is actually what the term has been used for um, historically, which is more linked to occupational therapy. So if we are assessing somebody's mobility, we're assessing their ability to you know, stand up from the, a chair, take stairs, move independently in their house. Um, whereas flexibility, we have all these different types of flexibility that we can work on. And to touch on the point I was talking about educating our clients, I feel that sometimes it's kind of cheating them if we just try to make up something as really simple and say flexibility is passive, mobility is active, um, almost assuming that they can't understand how things actually work when flexibility is actually pretty simple. You can divide it in active or passive, which means are you contracting your muscles or not? And then you will have a static or dynamic. So are you moving 
or you're not moving that joint. And by using the correct definitions, uh, the person in front of me can actually already picture the exercise that I want them to do. So if I'm talking about static passive exercise, what is considered usually stretching, you know that you're not moving and you're not tensing anything. But if I ask you to do an active dynamic exercise, you will know that I'm asking you to move and to use your muscles to move, not just, you know, a tool or something, something else. So I think it's, it's really important using the correct terms because people can understand more about what we want them to do and how things actually work in, in the body as well. Smashing. Okay. Sorry, no, that that's... was a bit of a long rambling. <laughs> no, no, it's great. It's all very, it's all really, really valid. So let's. I'm remembering now, kind of the, the even like level. It depends what. This is the thing about sports massage courses and sports therapy. It very much depends on what's who you who you go to learn it from yeah. and what teach you have. And it's it's we've talked about this before, so it's not standardized at all. But generally, unless you have a great teacher who kind of like gets you past the exam but gives you some extra information like me then it's kind of <laughs> what you're going to have in your syllabus for most sports therapy courses even to level five is passive stretching most of these skills which are still taught on most syllabuses are going to be kind of they'll give it an acronym um like a, a met stretch or something or a pnf or a crc or all of these ways which are all designed for you to increase someone's range of movement um or you will learn um, uh, a manual therapy technique like myofascial release still appears on a lot of level five. It's like now you're ready to use another manual technique, which again is based on you identify a tightness, which will be referred to, and you use a technique to make that range of movement bigger um, and so on. There's not, well, there's no mention really on most of these courses, unfortunately, the syllabus for most of the well-known schools, um, any strength or anything like that. So, yeah. I'm interested then, let's imagine that you um, do find that someone comes in and you give them a squat test or something or knee to wall test, which I think some places will teach. And you see that the dorsiflexion on one person's ankle, they've done a knee to wall test, let's say, is less on one side than the other one. And maybe even they're getting a bit of niggles in that side or you can see that that is visibly less than the other one. How do you differentiate if that is down to a flexibility issue or a mobility issue, or is it not that important? Um, well, this is a, is a tough question because mm. not having, you know, a, a real person in front of you, um, we always make assumptions. And as we everything, it will depend. It will depend on their history. Uh, on what type of block they feel, uh, on, you know, whether there's something else going on, whether that's the cause of their problems, or I, I think we think is the cause, or that is actually a symptom of something else that is going on. Um, so there is always, you know, a bigger discussion about uh, seeing an imbalance. Uh, there is some research that shows that um, even a minor imbalance between your ankle range, this I think was a research done on the military, uh, can lead to more uh, issues like hips and knees and, uh, uh, and back. But the research in terms of uh, uh, flexibility and injury is not that clear cut. Um, as it is uh, on other aspects of um, flexibility. And there's definitely some research that shows that there might be some correlations between poor flexibility. Uh, I can think of a paper that um, was showing that poor quadriceps flexibility seemed to be linked to a higher um, chances of patella uh, tendinopathy, for example. We do have those papers that show that but it's not as clear cut and often it's, it's still difficult from the paper understanding what is the cause and what is the effect, what's the pain there, or, you know, a lot of papers around these uh, issues, unfortunately, are not like the biggest uh, um, studies. Uh, it, it can be a really limited uh, number of subjects, etc. In terms of how I would approach that, again, it would depend really on what they want to do. 
um, whether that is uh, there seems to be linked to any other issues. Um, so if they were, for example, in my gym and they needed to squat, and that was uh, something that seemed to force them on one side more than the other and causing other compensations, yeah, I could, I would probably want to to work on that side that uh, um, is more restricted. Um, it really depends on on how restricted as well. But I would do further testing. Um, so I would try to understand whether it's actually kind of a passive range of motion type of issue. So they really don't have kind of that tissue compliance to get into a particular position, or it's more of a problem that they can't quite get there uh, on their own. For example, when they do certain exercises, um, if there is strength around, you know, the entire lower leg um, a lot of people forget to train their shins and their anterior tip uh, which are actually really important to scope properly um, it's all about calves <laughs> um, so yeah it is a really like there's no clear cut process for all these things uh, uh, but it's definitely something that I would look into but yeah it could be strength training it could be stretching um, which is more the passive static type of, you know, flexibility. Um, and yeah, it can be just an integration of whatever they are already doing, uh, just focusing it a little bit more on getting range through that ankle. So we can, for example, modify lunges uh, for that person to go into a greater dorsiflexion in their lunge. Mm-hmm. Um, what I call I tend to call a long lunge or a knee over toes lunge and then I'm doing an active dynamic flexibility exercise with them but they're still doing strength training they're not necessarily stretching that you know is is another type of flexibility training that is often forgotten it doesn't need to be stretching okay yeah that's great that's just interesting to know because you've done sports um, therapy and you're an osteopath as well so because like most i mean courses are trained to do typically this is and correct me if i'm wrong if anyone's listening live but typically it is on in the objective part um which all too often is kind of gone to too quickly but if you've done a good subjective then you go to the objective you do um, an active range of movement you do a passive range of movement and generally you're going to see that the passive range of movement um allows you to go further let's imagine it is dorsiflexion but occasionally you'll find that it won't and and that kind of suggests it might be a structural thing going on it's just locked it's just blocked and that's when theory for most massage therapists in particular you've got to go right i need to refer you to someone else uh, maybe someone in your clinic who can look for bony issues and stuff that's going on but if you find that there is a passive range available um, and it looks like it's a soft tissue thing maybe the calf being tight or something um, then you can proceed with either some kind of passive work on them, of which you're taught loads, or maybe um, you can get them to do some active work as well. I'm quite yeah. interested in, um, I mean, do you use much passive work? Do you use things like kind of METs or them pushing against you and then isometric contractions and all that sort of stuff? or? Uh, so, yeah, and actually isometric contractions and METs are not uh, passive work. Those are actually an active type of flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, so isometrics will be an active static because we are not moving, but we are contracting the muscles. Mm-hmm. And I definitely use them. Um, I don't do as much hands-on anymore. I still think there is some benefit to hands-on, uh, kind of as a gateway. Uh, when we have pain or injury or even psychologically some people need that we know touch is important Uh, but then I often progress quite quickly to some sort of active work and I feel that METs and isometrics are a great way to break those barriers Um, and you can start with me in the treatment room uh, doing some exercises like METs type of uh, uh, treatments with them and then we can turn them into self exercises where that person does the same thing or similar thing on their own. Um, I think, yeah, I think they're really great because, and I think this can connect actually to a question that I see down there from um, Stevie. Stevie Brown, um, so, yeah, Stevie is asking 
basically if we just want to increase range of motion or we want them to learn to use what they have not been using um and that really depends on the person again so physiologically your passive static flexibility will always be the greatest range of motion that you have um and you can think of that as the, your ability for movement i i like to describe it as your the container of all your movements if you don't have a passive static range you're not going to be able to access that movement at all now in terms of whether we can control that range or, or not will depend you know person to person most people will have will generally have a big gap um between what they can control and what they have passively um and in that case we probably don't want to spend a lot of time doing passive static stretches because they don't need more container they don't need to widen that container they actually need that to bring up the ability to control the movement within the container so that's when i will work a lot more on um static active and um dynamic active type of exercises and that can be things like again changing um some strength training exercises to bias a certain range um or in terms of shoulders all those kind of little movements in a prone position to learn to use your back shoulder muscles a little bit more um and we want to control that range um because if we have that big gap usually it's more of a neurological um kind of i don't want to say issue but there's a bigger neurological component uh, um in what we need to do and teaching the body to control that range there will be also strength and endurance in the muscles that we need to build uh, they all go together um but i don't need a bigger range if i already can't control what i have so that will be my first step and then it all depends on is the container big enough for what i want to do and if it's not then once i kind of close on that reserve uh, we call it a reserve basically the gap between what you have today and um what you need for the activity you want to do that's a functional reserve for example um then i push the passive static more so i widen the container and i progress that way but i only do that as far as i need for the activity that i'm looking to do okay hopefully that makes sense yeah, no, no, <laughs> totally. like, no, it's really nice to explain that makes sense if, if the answer is your question uh, but yeah the the goal the focus is always what do you need what do you want to be able to do and then from there we decide how to to get there depending on what we see in the patient cool and that's that's a really important thing as well because that's what kind of for me makes crossfit stand out from what i'm used to working with because in crossfit let's talk about the range of movement that is needed in crossfit so we've started off the squat with dorsiflexion which um is is necessary for the depth you can get down to the amount of dorsiflexion you've yeah. got i would say it's maybe it's, it's probably a little bit of one of my biases but it's important but it's not as relevant most of the time uh, your hip flexibility will be a much bigger um like limiting factor for most people than than dorsiflexion a lot of people come to me as like oh yeah my ankles are not really flexible it's like i can show you a full depth squat like with shins vertical so that's not always uh, um as much of a limiting factor uh and often that ends up being as i was saying earlier more of a like anterior um lower leg compartment weakness in the muscles that you can't actually access uh, the range rather than just pure dorsiflexion issue uh but you can get a lot more from working the hips consistently and opening up your hips rather than dorsiflexion yeah okay so that's interesting so talk us through that because i know what you said is is going to be true for a lot of therapists where it's all about you know getting that dorsiflexion that's where you can get down where's what's the significance between a hip and getting a, a squat a good squat a decent squat um so again we, we it will depend on the 
person that we have in front, like their age um, and what we need. But generally in CrossFit, what we like to see is a full depth squat. So we want to see that um, hip crease going below the knee. Um, sometimes people call it also a grass squat. So trying to go as low as we can, still maintain contraction in our muscles. Now to do that, you are of course going to need quite a lot of flexion at your hip and you're going to actually need the quite good degrees of rotation. And people generally just assume that you need a lot of external rotation. Yes, you do, uh, but you actually need internal rotation as well because at the end of your flexion, um, actually you end up being internal rotation. Even if you we don't see it from the outside, that's what happens in the joint itself. So the two, uh, ranges that are usually most limited uh, um, are flexion at the hip and then rotation in both directions. And I see a lot more restrictions in internal rotation than external rotation, um, which can lead to hip pain and hip problems as well. So if they've got restrictions in hip flexion, and meaning which is preventing them from getting low enough, we're talking about lack of flexibility then in the posterior chain. Yeah. Yeah, it would be probably posterior chain adductors play a big role into, uh, in squats, especially below parallel squats. Uh -huh. um, so they are often forgotten, uh, but they, they will need some work. Um, and then, yeah, the rotation. So obviously it depends on the person, but to give up people who are looking after athletes or CrossFit athletes here, what um, is the ways, what methods would you use to provide them with that ability to squat a little bit deeper it depends but what's some of your go-tos yeah to it depends it would be a combination so what i would like to do is uh, um well it actually the thing it depends on uh, is what that person likes to do the most and how like they see the training so we i have some patients that really enjoy stretching um, and they enjoy the passive static component. Um, there is some, you know, members at our box that spend 10, 15 minutes after each class or before each class stretching. And we don't have to remind them every time. They just enjoy doing that. So if I have somebody that enjoys that, I may include a little bit more passive. Uh, static stretches if there is a limitation there. And then on top of that, um, having some um, active static, so isometric type of work, um, some overcoming type of work where you push against a resistance. That's really good to um, increase kind of that neurological drive in an area. And then uh, um, some active dynamic to finish off. Um, but if I have an athlete that hates stretching, and you know they get bored after five seconds we know that you need to sit in a in a stretch and you need to hold stretches for a certain amount of time to see a result um so i would probably work more into integrating their flexibility work and their strength work so at that point i will use things like we can take the exercise itself so if i need to improve your score i will just get you to spend more time in that score and i can use things like tempo poses um i can use props where maybe i prop up your um heels so that you can sit in a deeper score and we start working the range of your hips and you start controlling that and you can start getting the tissues um to comply a little bit more to get into that position and then you know we work back on to going heels to the ground etc um but yeah it always depends on the person i have in front of me what they enjoy doing um of course as we said before if you don't have that kind of container it's not big enough you will have to do some passive static stretching um, but it can be like extremely minimal and then we can work with strength training. There is some research out there. Um, I think was actually quite recent from last year. I think it was the, um, the Alfonso review, which again got really kind of misinterpreted on social media saying that you don't need passive stretches because um, strength training, um, active 
Sothic and strength training can be as um, as good. Um, but being as good doesn't mean that that works for everybody. Uh, but it can work for some people. So there is something out there saying, well, we can use strength training to increase the range of motion. But it's something that we will have to test on the person and see how they respond to a first cycle of training and then take it from there. Wonderful. Yeah, I think I think that's a really nice point about seeing what the person enjoys, because if you give them something they really hate or they don't believe in, they're less likely to do it. Or, yeah. you know, there's obviously this kind of like involving the nervous system, and making it pleasurable and fun, which you talked about as well last week and the week before for it to actually work. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah, so for for you to be able to get more range, you have to go kind of uh, through different stages. There was a research that has been used a lot to say, oh, my stretching is, is only neurological. It's just your nervous system adapting. Um, but uh, there was a research from, um, I think it was Magnuson from 1996. But actually a lot of the research has come out in the last 10 years has shown us that um, we can increase fascicle length, so we can actually increase the length of the muscles um, if we hold stretches long enough. Mm. Now, the problem with a lot of the older research or some smaller studies is that in, in general studies with flexibility is the quality of the study and how long stretches are held for. Um, so a lot of these studies that just show a neurological change, uh, which is generally short-lived, uh, um we're using really short hold times on the stretching um but these more recent papers have actually shown that if you um, hold the stretches long enough you actually get changes into your muscles muscle fibers um, and those changes will be you know lasting longer of course than just a neurological one so there's almost kind of two points uh, and i think with especially with people People that are really, really stiff and they really don't enjoy that passive stretching. The first one would be kind of breaking through the neurological barrier to get them to feel a little bit better in movement. And this is something I always say to my super stiff clients is we are not looking to improve your range. I'm not looking in a month going from you barely touching your knees to touching the floor. I want you to focus on ease of movement, which to me says, your nervous system is slowly letting go, is mm -hmm. relaxing when we go into the same position, even if we are not increasing range straight away. And then once we learn that and we learn to relax in those positions, uh, probably we can control them better because we're going to start being able to access uh, um, those positions. And then after that, we can start introducing a little bit more of that kind of muscle changing type of stretching. But to do that, we need longer stretches, uh, uh, two to five minutes. Uh, that doesn't need to be in one go. It's just per muscle group. Um, so it can be built, like we can build to that. And again, it will depend on the person. Like if somebody enjoys sitting in, in a stretch for two minutes, they can go and do two minutes. But it's probably going to be too much and too painful for most people. So it can be repetitions of, 20 seconds yeah. but as long as in that session we build up to those two minutes we per muscle group we will see some tissue changes as well i'll have to revisit those studies i was under the impression that <laughs> it was like you had to hold it for like between two and five minutes and the conclusion to something i was like who the hell's going to do that it's just not really going to happen um, yeah it's not, it's it doesn't need to be in one go Okay, it doesn't need to be in one go so like we can see those changes um anyway doing shorter durations and we can build up to longer durations that that has other benefits because we can start working on our pain threshold and pain tolerance etc but again that becomes you know a lot of uh, more complex uh, mm -hmm. discussion and more complex programming as well that you know, probably most of our clients don't need as much how about how much do you find yourself if 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 the gymnastic elements and the Olympic lifts require flexibility, do you suggest that for some people they get involved in yoga and kind of doing some cross training, maybe periodizing? Are there advantages of going to a yoga class where you have got that 
Oh, I can see from your face you're a little bit worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't been watching this podcast, so you didn't see the I face have... change. <laughs> yeah, the yoga and there's something kind of. Oh. Um, I have absolutely nothing against yoga. It's an amazing discipline. But what I always tell people is like, if you enjoy yoga because you want to do yoga and you're enjoying the mindfulness and you know everything else that is associated with yoga you know go for it it's not gonna do any harm to most people unless they are hypermobile or you know that's a whole different discussion mm. um but that's the only instance in which i would say yes go and do yoga if the person says oh i really enjoy it and it comes down etc will be good for my flexibility as well yeah go for it but if you're looking to just improve your flexibility maybe for a specific exercise or a specific activity you will get a lot more uh, out of training specifically for that and going on a proper flexibility training program um, that combines all these different type of flexibility I've been talking about Um, because you can get results where you don't need an hour class of yoga. You may just need 10 minutes, but if you focus on exactly what you need, you're going to get enough uh, results and possibly even quicker because that's focused on what you need compared to a general yoga class. So it is again one of those things is like is yoga is not gonna make you more flexible for a specific activity. Even the classes called yoga for sports are really general. But um an example I often talk about is Toto Bar in CrossFit. So this is an exercise where you're hanging from the bar, you're using a keeping movement, so like a gymnastic type of swing where you touch the bar with your toes and back down. Now, you don't have your legs completely straight in a total bar, but still, if you are not comfortable in a forward fold and you can't reach your toes, the chances of you being able to do a total bar are close to none. And uh, that's something that people forget. And then sometimes they're like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll do yoga and we'll have everything. It's like, well, your problem is that one exercise and that one specific, you know, back chain um, part of your body. So why do you want to go and do an hour if you don't particularly enjoy that when you can do two, three exercises, two, three times a week and in maybe three, four weeks? Usually, is how long it takes to to see the changes if they are consistent. You know, uh, improve what you need to improve. Yeah, I was just thinking what Anne kind of mentioned. Yeah, um, it's I'll read it out for people listening to the podcast. Anne Cochrane, thanks for joining us. Anne has said, uh, "Show where is it?" Okay, so Anne says, "I regularly suggest yoga moves, but it does get that funny face from the more active clients." personally has helped me and so trying to bring it back in my own routine once a week is it helps me relax my mind from working I think for the relaxing part it's ironic isn't it because some people are just naturally full-on 100% all the time and they can't just settle into a stretch and sometimes these people are just they have got restricted range but all over because they're just and they're ready to go and it's it's funny isn't it because it's that old thing where that idea that if God wanted to create just perfectly fit people, they'd rip the roof off a gym and get everyone mm-hmm. out of the weights and put them in a yoga class. And all the people from the yoga class would go into the gym and you get that balance. But you're led to what your personality likes, aren't you? Most people in a yoga class are kind of quite, and I don't want to generalize here and get hate mail, but you're pretty chilled out people and you like a joystick. You like the smell of joysticks and you're kind of like, so you're doing when really probably not always your body would probably benefit from some uh, music and metallica and the gym with some metal but yeah. you don't like that and it's vice versa isn't it so and we know if you go to something you don't like you're probably not going to last it you're not going to excel in it exactly, so exactly. yeah no you know yoga has helped a lot of people and has its benefit but i always tell my patients and clients in the gym yoga is not disciplining itself so if you want to do that and you enjoy that, great. Go and do yoga alongside CrossFit. It will definitely, you know, have some benefits. Uh, but if their goal is a specific exercise or they are the type of person that hates, like, 
that kind of chilled and soft mm-hmm. music. I, I can't I can do yoga. I tried a few times. And I've got that impression. I love, I love doing flexibility work, but it's just I, I can't send our a, a class of yoga. Um, so that it wouldn't work for me. I would do it maybe three, four times, and because I'm forcing myself, but I wouldn't be consistent. Um, but I can use my strength training to get the same benefits and the same effects, um, and that's how flexibility training can can work. Be a lot more focused. Yeah. Okay, which brings us nicely to the focus um, and specific training to the stick mobility, um, which you're very much involved in. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've yeah. read, I haven't done it myself, but I followed, like, I think I saw Paul Coker, who people will know from the show. I've seen schools, which he's been involved in with that and yourself. And it sounds really interesting. I like particularly the way you can focus and the external kind of stimuli. And it's kind of like having a goal and that all stuff. Talk for people who aren't aware of stick mobility. Um, yeah, where's it all come from? And where do you think some of the benefits are when it comes to increasing flexibility? So stick mobility is uh, um, is a really, really useful tool because, as you're saying, it kind of gives you something else to focus on. But also having that external feedback is really important for some people, especially when we are starting working on the active static and some active dynamic type of movements. Um, you know, it's difficult to create an isometric contraction if you don't have a lot of body awareness. And especially at your hand range of motion, if I'm asking you to create an isometric contraction at that hand range of motion, it's going to be really, really challenging. And most people won't really know how to start. And having that external tool gives us something to push against. So it makes some of the active type of flexibility work easier to learn um, is quite useful for passive static as well because it can support you um, so you can work all the different type of flexibility um, we are tool and that's really the benefit um, of the system itself um, and when I teach the courses I often remind people that we don't have set exercises in, in sick mobility like it's principles that we use um, which are really similar to what I've been discussing mm-hmm. about today and you know you can integrate them with the tool um, and that's you know that's why um, works so well and I think that's also why people really enjoy um, as we were saying, if you don't enjoy something, you're probably not going to stick with it. Um, and stick mobility feels a little bit more like training to a lot of people that are in the gym. Um, it feels that they're doing more rather than just holding a stretch or, you know, they don't have to go and do an entire yoga class. They can do 10, 15 minutes uh, uh, routines and get the same benefits. So it's, it's really beneficial on a few different levels. Yeah, um, from what I've looked into, it seems like something definitely worth um, getting involved in. If you're a therapist and you do and you are looking after athletes who need that extra flexibility slash mobility slash whatever you like. Um, yeah, the, the, I, li- I like the look of it. Although I will say as a caveat, once again, some of the branding I've seen maybe from the States, you've got some super probably hypermobile athlete there getting into some kind of position, looking up at the ceiling and doing mm-hmm. some kind of samurai yoga pose. And you're thinking, really? But so it is, again, it, I suppose you can regress and scale all of this as well to the needs yes. of the client. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's what I just said a moment ago is like the beauty of it is a system uh, based on certain principles um, of training is not necessarily a set of exercises. Yes, there are some poses and exercises that are kind of the staple um, but they can always be they can always be regressed and uh, um, I know a few people that are here actually have been on the course with me um, we have like we cover different stages and different ways to do um, exercises um, you know social media is always is always like that you know you always get the more flex most flexible person that you have and you know do some cool photos with them in, in crazy positions but you know, I think we, we, we talked about this really quickly um, earlier. Flexibility is not just having to increase 
range of motion, I think a lot of people associate with flex flexibility with having to become a yogi or having to become a contortionist. And it's not that I can train my flexibility. I mostly train my flexibility just to maintain what I have, um, not really to increase um, my range because I have enough for my Olympic lifting, for my power lifting, for my gymnastic exercises. But of course, if I don't maintain that, we know again from research that over time we are going to lose um, the range of motion because of a few different reasons. One is aging, and one is that if we don't use certain positions, um, our nervous system kind of forgets them. Uh, the receptors are not going to hold on to a range of motion that we never use. So we would have to reintroduce that again. So just by working on maintaining my flexibility, I can say on top of that. And you just need two to five, two to five minutes per muscle group per week to do that. And then I could be working flexibility to kind of decrease range of motion in a sense. Um, and that's, uh, you know, a really long chat that we could have about hypermobile clients where we probably wouldn't do any passive static stretches. It will be a lot more active and dynamic so they can control the range. And we kind of want to teach that nervous system to put the brakes on earlier and earlier in their range of motion um, so they, they don't max out what they have. It's really interesting to hear you say that and we can come to Zoe, I've seen your question, don't worry, it's a great question. Yeah. But it's so interesting and kind of, it's refreshing. I love this, this is why I love hosting the show because I get to hear other ways of putting it, but using flexibility training to reduce the range or control the range sounds great now i understand where you're coming from with flexibility because for me i would be saying stop this flexibility stuff okay stop <laughs> trying to stretch because for me stretch this person is trying to touch their toes and it's more about i would use the terminology let's do some mobility training instead so let's get some control let's look at the movement rather than just the let's look at the journey rather than the destination if you like okay we're not trying to touch our toes we're looking at how smoothly if i yeah. say stop you can stop at that position and go again and stop that kind of stuff. But yeah, like you're saying, if you use an eccentric kind of movement or with weight, with load, then you can you can exactly. change that flexibility. You can reduce it by doing flexibility training. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, strength training can be a flexibility exercise, mm. um, depending on where we put kind of the bias on that mm. um, uh, strength exercise. Um, and it can teach us to control those ranges so for example in uh, we um hypermobile uh, patients that becomes really handy so we will be doing a lot of eccentric work uh, um holds as a certain range and then really build up on strength and endurance uh, um, in the range that we want them to use rather than increase the range um yeah because people generally associate flexibility with stretching mm. it can become confusing but you know i generally just say we need to strengthen in that mm. case i still explain to them well this is what we are actually doing um but it will probably be mostly strength type of exercises um okay. i saw a couple of questions Should we look at zoe's? yeah um, zoe's here what are your thoughts are you familiar yeah. with the app go what mobility you probably are but what do you think yeah. of it, bearing in mind that Zoe has just started using it and thinks it would be a great app? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Again, um, so I noticed that a lot of people, when they start using um, GoWord, there's another similar one, um, do see some benefit. But generally, I find that it's kind of short-lived or it plateaus pretty quickly. The benefit is often because you start doing something consistently. Um, so if you never really worked on your flexibility before by joining an app like that, uh, the great thing is that you become a little bit more consistent in focusing on the aspect of your fitness as well. Um, and probably at the beginning, you will be seeing some improvements. What I find is that most people that use um, those two apps um, kind of plateau quite quickly because their routines tend to be quite repetitive and quite biased towards certain positions. Um, for example, with hips, they tend to be really biased into external rotation and pigeon stretches, etc. 
um, and they don't do as much active static and active dynamic work. Um, there's almost never um, strength type of work like eccentrics and poses, etc. So again, it's a little bit like yoga is is great and is a great like point where to start and advising to clients. Yeah, again, can ha can be a great starting point, especially if you don't have that experience in programming and teaching flexibility training. Uh, but if you if you have that, I, I never really use them. I try them myself and you know I find again I spend a lot of time doing things that I don't need uh, and never really working other things I need. Um, so I think the individualized and focused approach will always win. Then depending on the person that we have in front, we can start using things like apps or yoga or other activities. Um, if we need you know to get them compliant and engaged great answer i hope that makes sense zoe so yeah this, if there's a time and a place for these but as soon as you're making an app which everyone can use and you obviously yeah you're taking out the individuality but this is where zoe like you don't want to give all your clients a, an app and say this is perfect you don't need me anymore no no no, no. that's a terrible <laughs> business plan but you can get them engaged in it and then say, look, this is great, but certain things are going to be better for you. So you've got to come back. Once you play around with it, I'll show you which exercises to use and maybe, and then, yeah, get them to come back with you and you can individualize yeah. it. Okay, fantastic. You know, it's a short-term uh, solution. Uh, I always uh, prefer try to learn, like, learning the more the most I can and educating myself. Like, everything I've discussed today is... Uh, um you know it comes from a few different courses but really mostly it comes from flexibility research that has like the best course i've ever been um onto and if you really want to dig into all these concepts i will definitely advise you um check them out and then you can really start programming and helping people um after something like that um and then um yeah or reach out uh, we launched some courses, especially uh, for uh, functional fitness uh, soon uh, that will have an integrated uh, uh, module on flexibility. Super. So, yeah. Um, but before I forget, then we have to make an honourable mention to Becky Carroll, STA Regional Rep. Happy birthday, Becky, who Becky is actually on her birthday come along to listen to you, Sonia, as yeah. opposed to, you know, um, celebrate it in the traditional style. So thanks, Thank Becky. Thank you, Great. Becky. We'll now sing happy birthday in Italian to no. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Becky. Thanks for coming along. I love that. And happy birthday, yeah, definitely to you. And thanks for all your support. And it was lovely catching up with your therapy expert. Um, right. So, yeah, talking of courses and things, um, particularly for soft tissue therapists, again, people who the first thing I'd say to someone who's done their sports um, massage or sports therapy certification, particularly if it's not a degree, is you're going to need some bolt-ons. OK, you passed your exam, you've got your a lovely kind of like foundation here now, but you need some bolt-ons. And typically that will involve some education in strength, planning, scaling and progression, yeah. regression. But also now I've got something else now, which is I would have never have kind of mentioned before, flexibility training. <laughs> I'm always kind of thinking you've got way too much of that, but that's because of my short-sighted look at what flexibility training is. Thank you for opening my eyes. If people do on courses, then um, yeah, what do you offer? What do you recommend? And yeah, when yeah, are they starting? So as I said, a pure flexibility course, check out flexibility research. Um, what I'm building with Robert Crowley and Recover Stronger um, is actually a course focused more on the management of, of functional fitness athletes uh, and people that exercise a lot. Um, the course will be a lot more comprehensive and covering a few different topics uh, um, from how you include uh, you know your manual treatments um what are we really doing with manual treatments what is the benefit when maybe it's better not to use that as much etc uh, to your pain science uh, there will be a module on flexibility a module covering um the more classic movements of these sports uh, there are some movements uh, again we can think of the olympic lifting the gymnastics and then if we think of crossfit there is other kind of combinations like thrusters and wall balls, et cetera. And we kind of break them down for you, um, showing where things can go wrong, what to think about, and then how you can 
safely help your patient to go back and rehab all the way to doing uh, really intense activities like that. Um, Because what we found is that there is a big gap um, from the treatment rooms to the gyms, especially when we talk about really intense activities like CrossFit, like some functional fitness in general. Um, And basically our course wants to close that gap, um, explain to people that may have not done crossfit or functional fitness or like you saying like i specialize in runners but i want to understand more about this to really build a trust and connection with a patient that does something like crossfit you need to understand more about that discipline and that's where we come in um, covering all the different aspects on how to train and help people um, from 360 degrees Fantastic. And this is something which is a date's kind of going to emerge soon or something that's still being worked on or? It's still being worked on. We have uh, we had some uh, logistics issues, but um, hopefully um, like late spring, um, we have um, some initial courses uh, uh, running for everyone. Um, we do have um, kind of waiting lists that uh, people can sign up to. And as soon as we have news, uh, uh, we send them through that. So if you are at all interested or you have any um, questions, you can reach me on Instagram and through um, the website. Um, yeah, I think Matt is bringing that on screen. I'll bring it up. You can keep um, talking. I'm just going to bring that up so people watching yeah. the show can see the uh, the connection details. Yeah. And then, yeah, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll have something um, to show re- really soon. Oh, I might have chopped some. Okay, we'll see. So the, if you're watching the show, you can see on the screen now I've put um, Instagram. You can reach Sonia at Sonia.RecoverStronger. And then if you want to go to the website, I think I might have chopped off an M. So, um, no, 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 no. No, is it really cool? Yeah. Really? Oh, right. I haven't yeah. normally. So, yeah, www.RecoverStronger.co um, and education.RecoverStronger.co. Um, so there. Um, and... Um, yeah, and if people want to contact you about the stick mobility, is that the best way as well? Are there stick mobility courses still running or have they? Yeah, stick mobility courses, there should be a day coming out in March. Uh, I'm not 100% sure uh, that would be me. I will probably start taking the courses again um, from after summer. Um, so it would most likely be um, Rob that was on the podcast with me a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. um, for the next one. Um, if you're interested in sick mobility and yeah, you want to book a course, uh, their website uh, will be um, probably the best uh, uh, place where to find dates and information. If you have just general questions on how I can help you and if it's uh, um, you know a good solution for you, a good addition to what you're currently doing, um, just DM me on uh, Instagram and we can chat things through fantastic it's great and as always as with all our guests there'll be details on the sports therapy association website and links when they come out and addresses of contact in all of the podcasts get put onto www.thesta.co.uk and that's where all the show notes go as well so if you're looking for contact details and websites of interest and just head to the uh, sta.co.uk and you'll see them all there right amazing and um, thank you so much sonia um, thank you. really nice to have you back um i don't think we've had the same guest back two times in three weeks you've set a new record now i don't Ooh. even think mike james has done that <laughs> i wow. like that yeah it's an, i think you can put that above your um, italian deadlift championship now exactly. you've got world record yeah. uh, the way record so there you go so thank you so much the record on instagram on, on my exactly yeah, you've added to your profile now twice <laughs> a guest on the sta podcast in three weeks um stick around so i can say thank you to afters but i'll say um thank you to everyone in the room now um, thanks very much for joining us live. Like I say, it's so amazing. I mean, it's not just Becky with a birthday. I mean, that's like exceptional. Um, but it's really nice in a day where we do watch recorded TV and Netflix. No one does anything live anymore to see people giving up their time to join us live. It's amazing. Um, so thank you for that. But obviously, thank you as well to people who download the podcast. As always, if you do listen to the podcast, do please don't just go, well, that was interesting. That was really nice. I'm going to do that. Leave a rating. That's the way podcasts work. Okay, it's not a money thing. It's just so that we um, reach more people. We're giving out some great information. Thanks to our guests. But if it's only a few people who know about it, then it's um, it's very limiting. So do please leave that rating, leave a review. Be really, really important. Um, next week, um, we have got we've got an MBE. We've got Michaela Breeze. Uh, people who are not familiar with Michaela Breeze. 
Carlebees is actually the first woman to represent Team GB in weightlifting at Olympic Games. Um, and um, she's going to be with us next week, which I'm very excited about. Um, she actually won European bronze in 2003. She's won six Commonwealth medals, including two golds in 2002, 2006. It's, it's big. It's important stuff. And a bronze also yeah. at Glasgow 2014. So um, very much sought after coach um, in Olympic lifts. And um, we're going to be talking to Michaela next week on the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Um, so if you want to join us live, if you're listening to this, then come along Tuesday, eight o'clock um, UK time. And Michaela will be with us um, on the show. Sonia, thanks again. Once again. Thank you thank for you having me again. A total pleasure. And everybody else, hopefully we'll catch up with you uh, next Tuesday. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about it.